Buddy, you already know what it is. This is Suds Buds Presents Pints and Pixar, the podcast where we chat about the films of our childhood over an adult beverage. As always, I'm your host, Eric Anderson, and with me in studio, back again for this special reunion episode, the man of the patented we. Mr. Nate Up Padel. What's going on, buddy? Good to be back. You know what? Before you before you say anything else. Oh, oh. You gonna do your thing? Yep. yep. Oh, you're gonna do his we're, thing. We're bringing old routines back. Let's crack open the conversation. We're cutting right to the chase. I wanna have a nice refreshment while we catch up. So today we are drinking for our first beer. A beverage from Ursa Minor, which is finally now distributing down to the Twin Cities, a Duluth brewery that we both love. Mm-hmm. I've been there. Nate's I, never I been. I have not been there. As we've regular listeners of the show will know, Nate's talked about it many times, the pilgrimage to uh, Ursa Minor that we're trying to plan and have been trying to plan for two years. But today we are drinking the Bear Hop, which is an American India Pale Ale. And while I pour this up, you might be wondering, Bear Hop, what, is, what does that have to do with uh, these guys' episode this week? Well, this week, we've brought the show back for a special limited edition episode. First time only. The annual first time only. First time we've recorded in over three, maybe four months even. It's been a minute. Um, but yeah. The film we are talking about is Turning Red, and it is the newest Pixar film. It just came out. Um, as you're hearing this, this is probably the last week of March, maybe second to last week of March. This film came out just a few weeks ago at the beginning of March, and it is about a girl who turns in to a red panda when she gets anxious or excited. Mm-hmm. So we figured it'd be fitting to, you know, drink something bear-themed. It's a bear. So Bear, thank you, Ursa Minor, for finally distributing down to the Twin Cities. I mean, sunny California. Um, because I, I, I hate... I, maybe it's like the whole new glares thing where when you can't have it, you just want it more. But like, anytime somebody's going to Duluth, I'm like, hey, pick me up some like Ursa Minor. They're like, oh yeah. And then they come back and they're like, ah, I drank it. And you're like, oh, okay, yep. Sure. And like be one thing if it happened once, twice, whatever. But it's happened like five times now. I did bring and you back one beer. You did bring me back one beer and I liked it. It's uh they do a great job. Really cool place. They got some uh it's either brick oven pizzas or wood fired pizza wood fired pizzas I think they have there. But yeah, really solid, cool little patio space. Um would highly recommend checking out that brewery if you're up in the Duluth area. But also I really love their logo. Very cool logo. Yeah. Yep. Um, when we're still talking about animals, when we're still on the bear talk, it seems like a lot's changed since we've last recorded. It's been a it's been a busy th- couple months here for both of us. Yeah. Uh huh. But also, in some ways, not so much has changed. But I guess one of the big immediate changes I can think about is 
you got a new job. Sure did. And speaking of animals, Nate is now a zookeeper <laughs> am, at the Como Zoo. I am not a zookeeper. Uh, I, too, work at the zoo, though. He dresses um, like uh, the crocodile hunter and says crikey a lot and yep. pokes reptiles with sticks. Which is weird because the only reptiles we have are education animals, and they are not on display. Well, okay. So they're really smart? There's a couple smaller reptiles on display. Um but the, the the education animals, like the animals we would bring to like do math and stuff. Yeah, exactly. To solve world problems. They're like they do seminars and whatnot. Exactly. Like the um you know, the the Coco Chameleon, you know. Mm. Um but they uh yeah, so I started over there, uh doing uh kind of a secretive project. Uh, you know, I've told some people about, but I can't really talk about until not because like they're keeping it hush hush, but because if it, yeah, I, I, I don't want to get into it too much, but it is a, um, a very particular project, and if it goes well, which I think that it will, um, then you'll see them all over the place. You'll 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 become familiar with the project pretty quick if yeah. you live in the Twin Cities. And we want to respect your wishes right now, too, because it is a big deal. And I know it's a, it's a new career change. And I know it's a job where there's, um, there's you know, a budget and you got some donor money and stuff that you're playing with. But for the time being, we're happy to congratulate you on your your new job for the Como Zoo here in uh, beautiful St. Paul, California. Blessings, blessings on all of your households. Um, also, super fun thing is uh, when you... I take. I always try to take a break uh, right before the place opens, because all of the animals have just been fed and they just kind of got access to their um, large enclosures. So that's kind of a thing Como does, which is pretty cool. Is that their whole thing is they like to give the animals as many choices as they can for where they want to be, um, and so the animals are very active first thing in the morning when they get let out. And, uh, yeah, it's it's a pretty damn good time. Got a lot of good Snapchats. That's awesome. Yeah. Actually got a great one today of a uh, orangutan. I'll have to show you, show yeah. you during the break. Please do. Yeah. So new job. What else is new with you? Um, I mean, that's kind of the biggest thing. Um, I mean, some restrictions are getting lifted. Been going on a lot of trips recently. Had to go down to, I shouldn't say had to, got to go down to Nashville um, for a wedding. That was a lot of fun. Um, going to Austin, Texas to visit uh, the other co-hosts of the show, um, uh, Dusty Trunks, Shredder Trunks, you know, the big DT. That's a new one. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that'll be fun. Not going down there specifically for that, but that's just like a fun, you know, side bit. A little frosting on the cake. Exactly. Cherry on top. Um, yeah, that's kind of catch, catching me up for the last three months. What, what have you been up to, buddy? Man, uh, I think last time we talked, I was still finishing up my first semester of school. And I can proudly say that I, I did it. I finished that first semester. I am now... Just over the halfway point for semester numero dos. Um, yeah, things are still doing good. Got some good marks that first semester. Got an A, B, and an A. And um, ABBA. 
ABBA over here. Old ABBA. And currently holding three high Bs. So we're doing okay. We're getting through. Other than that, um, yeah, just enjoying this nice... uh, it's nice Minnesota weather we got going on. Went out disc golfing yesterday. Um, <laughs> and it was 40 degrees and raining all day. Yeah, a little dreary today, so mm-hmm. I decided it was time to get back into jiu-jitsu. So I went back to the jiu-jitsu academy after taking many a months off of training there. Still training light, probably three Mondays a month, but... Uh, Fully immersed myself back into it today with an hour and a half of pretty hard training. So I'm feeling good, man. Other than that, you know, my life is same old, same. Still slinging beards, still managing the bars, still, uh, you know, just just trying to do my best, make this way, make my way through this world. Making my way downtown. Yeah. Sing it, Nate. <laughs> This man, he's made for the microphone. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's about it for me, man. Pretty short and sweet, not a whole lot. Just excited to be back in the hot seat talking some Pixar with you. Uh, we've and this one is this one is a little little bit hot. There's the, I feel like I heard more about this movie due to like weird reactions to it than I did for advertising. Yes, we certainly have no shortage of things to talk about this movie. We got our typical um, synopsis or kind of uh, uh, plot summary. We got uh, some music facts. We got some fun facts. And then we're going to kind of dive into what the critics thought of it. What, uh, you know, just some general audience members thought and kind of what me and you thought of this film. Yeah. But uh, it's definitely a mixed bag for this one. So I say it's it's we I I really did like it. Um, I think some people are kind of downplaying that it is a different film. Like it's, I I, I said this off air. I'm not saying we know everything about Pixar because that would be ridiculous. But um, this movie is a little bit different. Um, and maybe I don't know. I think there's a part of it too. Well, we'll talk about that after the synopsis here, because, you know, no spoilers for the thing I'm about to spoil. Um, One more time before we get into the synopsis, just want to plug this beer again. We are drinking the Bear Hop, which is the American IPA from Ursa Minor. So we're kind of sipping on this right now. Um, We're for sure going to do one more beer on this episode, maybe two. We'll see how we're feeling. But uh, might have to really reach for the... uh, the uh tie-in for the movie but we can probably figure it out do you want to do a review on this after we get through the synopsis you think yeah i think so cool well i will uh give you the floor if you're ready to go all right all right um so this movie starts out uh in kind of a weird way for pixar movies where it actually gives you the era that it it is in it takes place in Uh, a lot of pixar movies are very um very loose with that or like they kind of just they, they might put you in a general range but this gave us the year which i believe was 2002 it was 2002 yeah and not just the... as sorry to interrupt oh go ahead but not just as pixar usually vague with their time they're usually pretty vague with their place and in this film we not only have a specific date given in the first scene of 2002 we're also given the present age of our character as well as the 
uh, city that it takes place in, which is Toronto. Yeah, like like almost none of those facts are spelled out. Like some sometimes they are, but for the most part, you, they're very loose with the details. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So this opens uh, in 2002 in Toronto, Canada. Um. With uh, May. May is our our main character. She's a 13 year old Chinese Canadian girl. Um. And it kind of starts with like a monologue a little bit um, where she is talking about her life and how she's a grown up or at least according to the Toronto public uh, transit system, mm-hmm. um, kind of going through how she's the boss of her own life. And then it kind of takes a turn when you meet her mother. Um, she is very much, I don't know if is under the thumb the right word. Like the right term there, because like it's not like her mother is, her mother is overbearing, but it's not like she's pushing back on it at all. I would say like maybe like by today's terms she might be what we'd call like a helicopter parent. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty fair. Um, but yeah, so she's a strong, independent young lady, but with a helicopter mom, who basically controls anything outside of school yeah yeah um and they also run kind of a it's not really a museum but it's like a it's a still active um a yeah still active ancestral temple yeah i'd basically call it a museum at this point yeah like they i mean they gave tours of it like it's kind of a museum or like a living museum they still you know, pray to their ancestors in this temple. Um, Almost like a historic landmark that's like a travel destination, but kind of like mm, supports itself off of its gift shop, which it seems like this kind of has that same element. There's like a little shop that they sell tchotchkes and, you know, trinkets at. Yeah, it it's, um, it's kind of a weird setup, like especially for how quickly they get through that setup it's like they give you the whole premise right away which is actually kind of nice because it's a it'd be a little complicated to get through it just kind of naturally without any sort of narration yeah yeah and i mean it's very clear that this is real world i mean the characters i would say look a lot more cartoony and kind of um uh, like almost kind of like roly poly compared to like the characters from Soul, which is what I constantly compare it to. Another movie that was set in like the real real world. Um, these characters look a lot more cartoony, but from the very first few minutes of the film, we can see that this is very much a time and place film where we see things like the the Tomagachi pets in the early two thousands <laughs> fashion, yeah. as well as Toronto landmarks like the um, the Sky Dome, yeah, a thing that's a real world. Um, place and also kind of this idea that you know May's fa- family is um she's got immigrant parents who are kind of running a business in Toronto while still kind of adhering to some of their Chinese customs, which I think is also a lot more real than what we see in a lot of Pixar stuff. Yeah, exactly. Like they, they that that I think that's one of the weirder things about this movie is that. They're very real with everything. Yeah. Um, 
everything is very literal. There is nothing really left to like, oh, maybe this is here. Maybe this is here. They jump into a lot of stuff with that, which yeah. is very cool. I Again, it's it's kind of a change of pace, but it's fun. Um, but anyway, so this temple that they have is dedicated to um, Sun Yi, I believe her name was. Um, it was their ans- one of their ancestors who, um, during a war in China, um, essentially prayed to the spirits to gain the power of a red panda. But like a, a very vicious red panda or a very big red Red pandas are not very big. Like that's just kind of a thing about them. They kind of look like foxes a little bit. Um but essentially gains the power to transform into a red giant red panda to defend their home, um, which works obviously. And um, yeah, so that's who this temple is dedicated to. Basically, an ancestor that saved their, their village. Their village, yeah. Which is where Maze. It's kind of implied that Maze parents both kind of came from the same village like they probably it, it almost seems like they knew each other as youth like it was almost kind of like a high school sweetheart scenario because it's mentioned at one point how the father witnessed his mother's transformation back in the village ah uh, yes yes so no spoilers Eric. no spoilers no but. spoilers except until five minutes from now when we get there um but again with um with may's parents being or mary may's mom being kind of a helicopter parent may tends to hide the things that she likes to do from her mother um basically a constant struggle for approval from her mom um which kind of leads to is kind of the overarching story here um for the rest of the movie um one of the big things is her mom doesn't really like her four friends that she hangs out with um and her four friends are all obsessed with her and her four friends are all obsessed with this pop um, boy band called Four Town. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, May's mom Ming um, kind of distri- or exhibits some uh, helicopter parenting. Finds a picture that May drew of a boy in a notebook that may has and then figures out who that boy was brings may down there to confront this boy who may's actually never talked to just one of those like high school crush kind of things. Yeah. And it, you know, embarrasses may to no end. And then when they finally get back home, may goes straight to bed and in the temple, a bunch of candles go out and this is kind of where it starts getting Pixar. Like a little, uh, little imagination kind of stuff. Yep. Um, but May wakes up the morning after and has been transformed into a giant red panda. Um, and by giant red panda, I mean like about the size of like a full ass polar bear. Right? Like about that big. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if not bigger, I mean, I'm lounging a little too much on this couch. Yeah, <laughs> it feels real. I thought it'd be cool to lounge on a couch while recording. It's not that. It's not that cool. Yeah, I mean, compared to her friends, uh, May almost takes on the form of like a creature the size of like Barney the dinosaur. 
Yeah, yeah, that's about it. Um, Just, I mean, yeah, like too big to fit through doorways kind of thing or has to like crouch to get through them. Yeah. Um, Yeah, just, or more, yeah, like a grizzly bear or some minor, you know? Got it. There it is. There it is. (laughs) Love it. Um, But yeah, so May um, transforms into this bear and freaks out. and then kind of figures out that if she calms herself down, she can transform back to a human. Yep. Um, so she does this, and her mom starts noticing issues, like May acting weird. And so kind of starts helicoptering a little bit more. And then fig- sees May, like, was it was it when she was standing in, like, the, the yard of the classroom or something? Yeah, she was, like, spying on her at school. Yep. Um, and May and like all of her classmates and her teacher notice and May freaks out and turns it back into the giant panda. Um, so then there's kind of a chase scene and what was kind of a tell is that like Ming's mom or not Ming, May's mom doesn't seem overly like she seems worried, yeah. but not surprised. No. Yeah. Um, so then after this chase scene and they get back to the house, uh, Ming explains to May that this is a thing that happens to all of the women in their family is that the, their ancestor, the gift that their ancestor was given to protect the village is passed down and all of the women in their family deal with that. Correct. Um, so when when they figure this out um May's mom Ming explains to her that there is a way to banish isn't quite the word contain but not quite banish but more or less banish yeah it's more spirit. or less kind of framed in a way where it's like this bear kind of shows itself and most of the women in the family when they're around kind of like puberty age and they kind of have the option to either undergo this spiritual ritual deal where they can harness the power of that bear into like an amulet, which is kind of like what the other family members have. They have like a necklace where it's like it can come out, but it's basically contained in there. Yeah. Or they can kind of choose to not go back and just continue to take on the form of that bear. And in that scene, we're actually given a date, which is another very... Typical thing of children's films, you know, give us a deadline. It sets up some conflict. Yeah. Um, it, it helps the story move along. Exactly. And that date happens to be a month from the current date in that scene. And then we find out just shortly later, that's also the same date that Four Town is coming to town. Yep. And that's kind of basically the end of that scene. We're basically now set up more or less kind of through that first act and we kind of know that throughout the rest of the 60 minutes of this film we're working towards this deadline and we're not sure what decision may is gonna make um you're mostly right but they actually don't know that those dates are on the same thing they don't find out till much later yeah that those dates one of their friends who was looking at this four town concert poster Got the date screwed up. 
it's like the next scene they find out they're coming to Toronto, but they don't yep. know when. Well, yeah, they they've got they picked the wrong date, essentially. But yeah. either way, that's not really that important. Well, it is kind of important for the friend bit, but regardless. Um, so May's mom basically lines up a a ritual so that May can contain her red panda. Um, so moving forward from that, uh, there's, they basically remove all stimuli to like try to prevent the panda from coming out because that's kind of what everybody thinks causes it is it's like any emotion really, um, or any like big emotion. So that goes down and then all of a sudden May has like an emotion and accidentally turns into the panda in front of her friends um and the friends then like help to embrace that panda they're like this is so cool you know it's so fluffy there's a weird bit where we thought it might have been like a monsters inc reference but apparently it's not um but then the again the friends help her embrace this part of her and it helps her to calm down and kind of control the panda. Mm-hmm. So going from there, um, May kind of hides that it's her friends helping her control it, not her mom. Her mom thought she kind of made her mom believe that she was the person helping her to control the panda. Because, again, she strives for her mom's approval. It's a whole dang thing. And then there's a bit of a montage um, where the girls start raising money for the concert tickets to this um, four-town show. So, big montage. They kind of start showing the panda off, um, raising money. And May's keeping it a secret from her mom. Um, Eventually, May... or not May's mom, Ming, the mother's mom, contacts us. So May's grandma. Um, and it kind of seems like it's pretty, it becomes apparent that Ming and her mom kind of treat their daughters the same, where, or not treat them the same, but it's always like a need for approval, mother to daughter. Um, so Ming's mother shows up with a bunch of her aunts i think they were yep yeah a bunch of aunts and they all you know again they've all dealt with this panda thing and they're going to help do this ceremony so may can contain the panda um the panda gets out one more time or they they go to this how did it work oh yeah um kid in their class is throwing a birthday party May goes to like raise the last couple hundred dollars for these tickets and ends up freaking out and accidentally attacking one of the kids, one of the other kids at the party and turns into a whole thing. Um, May's parents get called and it kind of actually this was an important part. Um, May's mother, rather than believing May could be at fault, turns on May's friends that she already doesn't approve of and kind of blames them for the reason May's been going out and doing all of these things. 
and May, seeking her mother's approval, just goes with it, kind of throwing her friends under the bus. Like, again, that desperate need for approval um, comes out full force there. So during the ceremony to remove the red panda spirit, um, they're going through it. And May's kind of at this mirror thing where if she walks all the way through it, the red panda spirit is contained. But then she remembers all of the fun um, and all of the big changes she went through as the red panda. So she decides to keep it. And she wants to... So ceremony kind of comes to an abrupt halt. They see she's still the panda and then she runs off to go to the concert. After that, um, May's mother, her red panda spirit, the talisman that we were talking about before, cracks, breaks open, and her panda spirit gets out. For some reason, that was never explained. I thought we were going to get an explanation, but May's mother's panda is for some reason like a kaiju. Like, it is literally the size of a skyscraper. Yep. Um, while Maze is like a polar bear. Like, it's not... I, I, again, I thought something was gonna be explained there. I just kind of took it as, like, anger, emotion. Like, maybe Got it's because it's, like, it's her bear in a full adult form, full of rage. Like, mm. you know, maybe it's kind of implying that we haven't seen Maze full transformation in panda form. You know what I mean? Like, Well, but then there was the part where the dad was saying, like, I've seen this I've seen your mother's bear before and he's and she's big but like this was like weirdly big yeah but I don't know it, it feels like a thing that maybe they had a little bit more background for but kind of had to cut um but either way so May gets to the Ford Town concert and then Ming, May's mother, shows up at the concert at the, um, what's the dome called? The Toronto Sky Dome. Sky Dome. Shows rips up. Rips a hole in the roof. Yep. Tears open the roof, and they kind of get into a little bit of a battle. Um, May kind of starts doing the, like, that classic teenager, like, rebellion for the sake of rebellion thing. Um, but when they're in their panda form, it kind of... It's that that old, like, reaction versus response kind of thing. Like, they're both just very full of emotion, and they're kind of... They can't fight that, and that's kind of what the panda represents, is that they are too full of emotion to, like, think clearly, or they're just very gassed up with this emotion. Um, so they kind of get into a little bit of a fight, and um, May ends up somehow torpedoing herself into her mother's face and, like, knocking her mom out cold. Yeah. But, like, again, she's May's polar bear. This is Godzilla. Yep. Again, not fully sure. It's one of those things. It's it's a children's movie. You look past it. You're like, yeah, this is fine. But to um, any adult, it's like you're watching Akira or something like that. Exactly. Like it's just bonkers. Yeah. This is Attack on Titan, but Toronto edition. Yep. Um 
So then they start trying to do the ceremony again, mostly to get Ming's um, panda back into a talisman to yeah get her out of that state. And uh, through a lot of different stuff, it ends up working, um, everybody working together. And all of the um, all of the aunts and May's grandma end up having to break their talismans to become the red pandas so they can help. Um, so they're all in this like after the um, after the ritual starts working, they all kind of end up in the spirit realm back to that mirror thing where May was originally gonna have to walk through, but they were all there. Um, there's a nice family moment where the mom or the grandmother, you know, talks to the mom and she's like, I'm always proud of you. Like no matter what you do. And then Ming kind of passes that down to May where like, I'm the more, the farther you go, the more proud I am of you. Like I'm proud of everything that you do basically. And so... Um, May opts to keep her red panda versus giving it up, walking through this mirror and just, you know, capturing it in the talisman. Um, So she kind of just embraces it a little bit more. And then it kind of comes out like the panda's like your emotional, messy, wild side um, where some people want to repress that and some people want that to be part of their personality. But not everybody has to make the same decision. And that is kind of the wrap of the movie. Like, that's what the whole movie ended up being about. Is Emotions are not inherently bad. Or being overreactive to things. Or, yeah, or being an emotional person is not a bad thing. It's just more how you deal with it. Yeah. I think is what the general message was. Yeah. Yeah. Also, pe- parents being overbearing. And in the end, I mean, it kind of wraps up with May choosing kind of both worlds. She kind of chooses to resume her life in this hybrid form where she kind of goes between human teenage girl form and her red panda form. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a way that her, you know, I guess you can kind of look at this red panda in a way like being that thing that made her the quote unquote popular kid. Yeah. And she's scared of abandoning that. You know, it's kind of like everyone goes through phases, especially when they're younger. And sometimes you just happen to go through a phase when it's hot and you become that scene kid or you become that band kid or whatever it might be in that moment. I mean, historically, band kids have always been very cool. It's I guess that's a bad example. Band kids, hey, no, jocks, no, no, those no. are cliques that'll always exist. But percussionists were always cool. <laughs> that is fact. That is canon. No one argues with that. Yeah, yeah. But she she finds that thing that makes her different, and you know finds a way where she doesn't have to fully abandon that. And then it's kind of the that's kind of the bow on on this present at the end is. And she she gets to do best of both worlds. Yeah. Where she doesn't need to repress this side of her. And, I mean, it was brought up, like, partway through the movie that, like, since she's become the panda and her friends kind of bring it up, like, since she starts doing this panda thing, even in her own personal, like, non-panda life, 
she's a little more outgoing. She's um, a little rebellious, but like she was dealing with helicopter parents. So like rebellious in the sense she's trying to be her own person. Yeah. Um, which I thought, was, yeah, I mean, that was a, that was a nice sentiment. Like you don't have to cage the wilder parts of you just to fit in. Yeah, I think that's a great way of putting it. And I think the message of this film is very strong. But did we like it? We will answer that in the following segment. But to wrap up this segment, we've got a beer to review. Let's say we got a little bit left here if you, you need a refresher course. So, I'll go first here. This is Ursa Minor out of Duluth, Minnesota. And this is their Bear Hop American IPA. Um, just trying to see if we got any literature on the back of this thing. If there's a hop blend or anything like that. And I was going to say, I didn't there's see not. anything. It's a pretty basic label. 6.8% ABV. It does give us that. Um, oh, that's nice. That's pretty high for like a standard West Coast. <coughs> Bless Excuse you, Excuse me. Ah, the hops getting in my, my nostrils, my nasal cavities. Um, all right. I got my rating for this one. I'm giving this a 3.3. I liked it. It didn't blow me away. I think it's a solid beer, but unfortunately it, it gets that label of forgettable just because it's a beer that I feel like I've had a lot of and Mm -hmm. I don't hate it. I'd have it again if I was at Ursa Minor, but having bought it off the shelf at the store, there's other ipas i would choose above this one but you know if you do happen to pick this one it's not a bad beer 3.3 for me yeah um kind of in the same ballpark i might go a little bit higher and i honestly don't know if that's again that that whole nuclearis kind of shit where we were talking about but i think i'm gonna go three five on it um i do like that it it's a little smoother on the tail end um, I think it's a little more honed in than a lot of IPAs that I've kind of just stumbled across or had given to me. Um, I, yeah, three, five, three, five is going to be my number. Um, this is not, I would disagree. I think if I was at their tap room, I wouldn't get this because every other beer I've had from them, I'm like, I really like this. I really like where this went. This feels like it was like a, we need to get our brand out there and this is going to sell well. And like, I mean, their, their brand is popular and they kind of just wanted, it feels like a crowd pleaser beer. Yeah. And to be honest, we did just buy this today. I really didn't do my research on this one. I would be curious to know if this is their flagship IPA. It tastes like a flagship IPA. Yeah. Like it's very honed in, like very well balanced, but it. There's nothing adventurous about it, I guess. And, you know, that's what we're all about. We're all about Spirit the adventure. Spirit of adventure. That's right. Up to no good three. <laughs> Coming at you. The trial of... I don't know. What's the dog's name? Doug. Uh, Doug. Yeah, trial, trial of, Doug. of Doug. We'll put Doug on Is trial. he an idiot? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Guilty. Guilty. Yeah, but... we're, we're both the prosecutors on that one. <laughs> I like this episode. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to take a quick little break. We just drank the Bear Hop. Shout out to Ursa Minor. We will be right back with another beer and some fun facts. So stay tuned. 
girls think? No one will help me think. A little panda. Abby, come on, May. It'll clear my mind. Just a little hint. It's so cute. Fine. What's up, everybody, and thanks for sticking with us. We are back and better than ever, and we just cracked open the conversation with the High Pines beer. That's High Pines Brewing out of Roseville, Minnesota. The, does it have the name on it? Of this beer? Yeah. Yes, this oh, okay. is the One-Eyed Squirrel, which is a red rye IPA. Uh, the kind bartender, shout out to Mr. Nick. He uh, filled this crowler for us yesterday while we had a delightful dinner of Tennessee hot chicken sandwiches and yep. uh, enjoyed some winning pool tabs. It was a, <laughs> it was a pretty lucky night. I was going to say, yeah. Meals, meals for the next day or two paid for, no problem. Yeah, totally. Yeah, but we're uh, having bougie ass meals anyway. But uh, we're cracking this beer open again. It's a red rye IPA, one-eyed squirrel. We picked it because, well, you know, panda, kind of like a squirrel, and uh, you know, they're it's got red, red in it. So, actually, uh, quick fun thing for you. So I know this is the fun fact segment, and that's your thing. Yeah, this better be fun. Um, it is fun. Um, so one of the things that they're doing at the zoo, like it's starting, just started last week, I believe, but, uh, it's called March Mammal Madness and is it the university of, um, 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 I think it's Arizona. Basically what they do is they pair up, like they, they make a March Madness bracket but with animals um and then essentially have them end up in the same area like even if they're not from the same um same habitats they will put them into the same area and like not real life but they will like assign numbers to different things and they will add some random number generators to kind of simulate wildlife Sure. And they will have these animals battle or like end up in the same area. Sometimes the animals will run away. And then they just do a March Madness bracket with all of these animals. And it gets real weird. Like they basically they simulate these battles. Uh what was the what was that show? I don't think it's still on, but like where they would put up like old military units of Deadliest like, Warrior. Deadliest Warrior. It's basically that. Um and yeah, and the last couple um, couple rounds, they they have like four potential habitats for them to show up in, and it's just a random number generator to decide what habitat they're gonna be in. So like one of the animals, like an orca whale, is gonna be pretty good at things, and a pack of lionesses are gonna be pretty good at things. But if it ends up in an ocean, like, one's for sure going to win. So, like, there is this randomness to it. Sure. It's kind of fun. Um, right now, I've got the walrus winning it all. Okay. Yeah. Um, I figured, because, like, knowing that they, like, randomize the environment, I figured, like, a walrus has a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. You know, walruses yeah. are pretty fast, actually. Yeah. But also they can they can mess around on land. I would have gone sea lion. Well, sea lion 
for one, wasn't in it, which I would have picked Sea Lion 2 probably. Uh, well, unless it was against the Walrus, because the Walrus is going to fuck Sea Lion up. Like, that's just, that's how it's going to be. But, yeah, the, um, a lot of people have the Lionesses pe- picked for their winner. I don't think that's going to work out for him. Also, the animals carry the damage that they've received in previous battles forward. Hmm. So, like, like the, the lionesses, it's like a whole group of lionesses. But, like, if one of their numbers goes down or, like, they get injured for any reason or if they, like, won their last battle pretty decisively and just ate whatever it was... They might not be hungry and not feel like getting into a turf war. So they might run away. Yeah, Yeah, like a weird amount of variables. That's kind of cool. Yeah. So like you kind of got to figure out who they were playing to like place them further up. I like this. Yeah. Yeah, It's pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. But that's just the thing they do. I think it's, yeah, I think it's Arizona State or University of Arizona that puts that on. Well, is that all of our uh, zookeeper fun facts? Are we good to uh, talk about some red pandas? I got a lot of zookeeper fun facts, but okay. yes, you can do that. Maybe we got another podcast. <laughs> um, I just wanted to get this out of the way before we dive into fun facts. This is just some basic cast and behind-the-scenes info. So, not a ton of big names in this movie. Um, biggest name, probably Sandra O, oh, who plays uh, the mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than that, the protagonist of the movie definitely may who is voiced by a newcomer uh rosalie chang i believe she's like a 16 year old actress um doesn't have a ton of credits who was the i don't know if you've got it up but who was the um the old guy who is doing the shaman like the 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 guy with the sword mm, don't have it because up. his name his voice sounded super familiar was like, it Mr. Gao, James Hong? That could be. He's an older actor. Let me, let um, me see his picture. Yeah, he's been in a ton of stuff. Been in Kung Fu Panda, um, yep. Bonanza, Hawaii Five-O, Perry Mason, I Spy. Yeah. Yeah, that that, that Chinatown. dude. Yeah, he's in so much. It was one of those voices where I'm like, nah, I know that one. Big For Trouble sure. in Little China, Blade Runner, Wayne's World 2, Balls of Fury, some huge credits. Yep. But, um, yeah, so that was uh, that was the voice of the kind of shaman, I guess, if you yeah, will. Yeah, he, he had a very, very background, like maybe three or four scenes. Yep. And then uh, the director was uh, Domi Shi. So those are just kind of the names I wanted to get out of the way before we dive into fun facts because we got a lot of quotes here. A lot of quotes for these ones. Okay, okay, okay. But starting things off, we have first of many firsts. So turning red marks the first time that a character breaks the fourth wall in a Pixar film. The movie starts off with May talking directly to the audience, which director Domi Shi says was inspired by shows and movies she loved as a teenager. Also, another little thing, kind of a sub-fun fact. Um, We talked about the opening scene where she's kind of narrating, and it's like this montage. She's getting on the bus. It's also the first time I remember seeing, like, a big title sequence for a movie. 
like we see turning red pop up and she's kind of like dancing in front of it and we have the city as a backdrop kind of atypical for pixar a little bit yeah normally it's like a kind of a cloud thing like a lot of it's like real a pan, subtle pan to the sky and like the the title pops up yeah hmm. it's kind of unique but uh, actually just not to derail too much but kind of curious like if pixar has rules for that like mm, i don't know like because i mean again you're saying first of many firsts like talking directly to the audience because like obviously pixar tends to be very particular with their movies and i'm sure there's a list of rules that they have but like i'm kind of curious like how many they're lenient on because like a pixar movie even though they're owned by Disney, it's like it's Pixar and it's Disney. Yeah. Like there's not a blend. Those are two very different entities. I would imagine they've got their rules, but I'd also imagine that, you know, this is a company that's been making movies now for 30 years. I think uh, they're probably willing to take some more liberties in the name of just being new. Mm-hmm. But I could be wrong. But like, Again, like the, a rule line where they're like, we can't do this because that blurs the line too much. It makes us less of a unique studio, maybe. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I don't know. Like a, 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 a rule that makes a Pixar movie a Pixar movie. Yeah. It's a good question. Maybe something to dive into off air. Yeah. But uh, next up we have... The power of the palette. So each of the main characters has a distinct color palette that is very much their own. So May is red, Miriam's yellow and green, Abby is lavender, and Priya is kind of mustard. So yeah. Abby also, we've talked about this off air, how she is very much Boo from Monsters, Inc. But also yeah. maybe not because we got a fun fact that touches on that. Uh, but moving along... We've got timely touches. So as filmmakers created the environments for this film, they looked for opportunities to reinforce the film's early 2000s setting. We see this in everything from wall-mounted telephones to old-school computers, CD players, handheld video games, and VHS tapes. So, a little flair of the early 2000s. I want to say, that one of our friends giving her a, uh, a, like a mixed CD I was like, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I've done it. I've been there. Yep. Done that. Uh, Next up, we've got more firsts. So she, um, sorry, that Domishi, the uh, director, um, it was her first uh, feature length film with Pixar. But also, um, she made the short film from 2018 for Pixar, Bao, mm-hmm. about the Bao Buns. And that was her first film for Pixar, and that also won an Oscar. So she was the first female to direct a short for Pixar and the first female to direct a feature for Pixar. Can you imagine like directing a short and winning an Oscar for it? Like. What a wild concept. Like, oh, yeah. Here's, I mean, maybe, I, I guess I don't. Because Oscars are, like, in categories. Yeah. 
So maybe she was only competing in shorts, but even so, yeah, like an Oscar for a short is just kind of wild. Yeah, I mean the majority of Oscars that are given out are not even filmed. I mean that's like a ten-hour award show that we see two hours of. You know, yep. it's yeah, kind of a shame. You see the best picture and best actor and all that, but there's a lot of behind-the-scenes awards given out that don't make unfortunately but that's a whole nother conversation uh turns out a lot of people work on a single movie yes weird i can vouch for that um next fun fact you're a hairy red panda harry uh director she noted that while she wasn't obsessed with any one boy band like may is her fandom of choice was the harry potter franchise she said quote that was the thing that was the glue for me and my friends. We would line up for the book releases, we'd go to the movies, we'd read fan fiction, we'd draw fan art. That was my four town. Okay. So there you go. Huh. That that does track for like the, the fandom, like how obsessed her friends were with well, I mean her included with Four Town. Yes. Like that was like that was an arc. Yeah. It was like okay. Huh. Boy bands, man. Early 2000s. Yeah, no, I get it. Uh, next up, we have Anna Maybe. Uh, director, she said, quote, We're paying homage to anime throughout the entire movie. You can see it in the expressions and the acting, the starry eyes and May when she sees a boy that she really, really loves, quote. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we see that extending into kind of like the fight scenes as well. Um Really just leaning on a lot of um, Asian pop culture throughout this film. But and there's a Naruto run. Naruto run. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. A lot of fun touches. We'll get to mm-hmm. some more stuff right up next in this fun fact. So we have May versus the world. Uh, did you know that one of the inspirations for the look of Turning Red was the 2010 live action film Scott Pilgrim versus the world? Director she told IndieWire, I always loved how the film utilized a lot of comic book stylization when it came to the fight scenes. When it came to cutting in the camera movements and snap zooms, even the fast-paced humor. It was really cool to see how director Edgar Wright was able to get that energy in live action. And we see a lot of that with uh, where the characters are running. We'll kind of see these motion lines outlining mm-hmm. them. Um, yeah, very comic booky. y um, And I think this film really shines in its fight scenes. And I think it it's like there's not a ton of them, but like they they do them very well. Yeah, yeah. Just with those little extra touches where it's like familiar, but also a little different from Pixar. Um, we're getting to the end of our fun facts here. So this is the second to last one. We got friends helping friends. Uh, director Domi she explained, "quote I put one of my friends in the movie, uh, Abby Park." So she's the short fuse friend of Maze, who was definitely loosely inspired by my real life friend and colleague, fellow Pixarian, Hayan Park, who also does the voice of Abby herself. We've been friends since college, and she's always been that ride or die friend who gets angry for you when things become unfair. Uh, she continues, I thought it was really cool. I thought it was a really cool character to put in the movie because she's so specific, but also so unique. And I haven't seen a character like her in a movie before. 
Um, she even goes on to kind of mention how this character always has angry eyebrows, even when she's happy. She's just <laughs> a very intense, uh, very passionate character. Yep. I thought that was kind of funny. Friends hooking up friends when they make it to the big time. And also college friends that went on to work for Pixar. I mean, that's pretty sweet. Yeah. That, um, like we said, th- so this was the character that we both kind of thought was based off of Boo from Monsters, Inc. Because, for one, the color the color palette's the same. Like, that is the purple color palette. Um, she has, like, flower patches all over her overalls. Just like Boo's room. like And the door in that movie. There's even a scene where she like one of the first times um seeing may as the red panda she hugs may and yells it's so fluffy like that is a boo quote like it's one of these i can understand if that's just a coincidence but if anything if watching all of all of pixar's movies at this point has taught me is that they don't really do coincidences. Like, that's just not a thing. No. So it'd be very weird if this was just a coincidence. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, it. there was a little too much going on for me to believe it was strictly coincidence. But, again, Pixar loves nods to uh, previous and future movies. I mean, we had the, the classic... Um, pizza planet truck in this movie had the uh what, what's the ball called uh luxo the luxo ball like the little yellow ball with the blue stripe and the red star um what was the other one they did they referenced Lightyear at some point i guess yep they they did a light year reference so they apparently that's been a new thing in pixar movies where they reference the next movie coming up um so they referenced Lightyear in it um it's it's a very quick scene it's like a Buzz Lightyear sticker like the emblem on the bottom of a skateboard in a quick yeah quick scene there but either way yeah the coincidence like everything I mean and we've talked about that too when when it comes to animation because everything has to be made like there's not like an accidental thing in an animated movie if that makes sense like yeah everything has to be created so they can put very very subtle things in and there's like at the very least it just builds the world but like they can also make a nod I'm glad you mentioned that because I saw a lot of that in this movie where it's just like the characters seem to be a lot more individualized, even like for background characters than other Pixar films, where it's like we had characters that were background characters, but were clearly diabetic, had like their insulin packs on them. We had characters that had different jewelry, distinctly different glasses that would have been fashionable from that time, like unique haircuts a lot of earrings um things that usually it's kind of like if you pause a really densely populated scene in a pixar film your main characters are going to stand out but anyone who's a background character it's like 
kind of copy and pasted. You know, it's, you'll mm-hmm. see a lot of just the same shirts replicated and stuff. Whereas in this movie, it's really like they've gotten that extra step to like making these characters really look individual. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of depth with this kind of stuff. Like, and again, like we we have a scene paused on the TV here where like, um, they're like running down the street and there's some people on the on the side of the street, and you have to have those people there because otherwise it would look a little weird even in a background. Yep. So you have to animate these people. They don't all have to be like a hundred percent original. But they need to look different enough. Yeah. And I mean, they went down to like making original like graphic tees for like background characters, you know? Yep. Which I thought that was kind of a unique touch and kind of a departure from the Pixar that we know. But uh, I mean, I guess I was going to say you talk like Bugs Life where. Yeah. Like they got a pass on that one because they're all ants. Right. Like that, that doesn't matter. Yeah. They're all the same color. Like the body builds are. Like, they've got a couple different models, but they're all roughly the same. Like, there's a lot more copy and paste than that, but you can't really get away with that in a movie like that, uh, like this. Yeah, I like to think that if, like, Up would have been given the same design treatment as this movie, we might have seen things on Carl, like a um, maybe an old watch that he got when he retired, or an old class ring with, like, a jade rock in it or things like that i mean just these small little details where it doesn't seem like much unless you compare it to the other 24 pixar films we've watched and it's like yo this is right away at first glance this is different yep like honestly it's kind of fun like pausing those densely populated scenes just like looking around at the world there because again it's not like you know shooting a standard live action movie where like not that things aren't placed there, yeah. But like everything had to be created. Mm-hmm. Like there's no backdrop that wasn't drawn, essentially. Right. Like that. There's none of that. It can't exist in that world. The only other Pixar film I can think of that does that is Coco, where Co- it's like the background yep. characters. I mean, a lot of color and just unique designs. But um, I got one last fun fact here. And it is, why red pandas? So why the red panda? Domi Shi says that there was never another option. It was always going to be them. She says, quote, I just think they're so cute and they're less popular than the regular panda. I just wanted to bring it into the spotlight. They're super cool and that they stay cute for their entire lifespan. (laughs) Like, even if they're old, they're just really cute and they're native to China. And actually from an area where my family is from in China, the Sichuan province. So there's like a little homage to my background too. And that is reason enough for me. Yeah. No, I got no more questions on that. Like they are always cute. Yeah. Like that's just fact. It's so true. But, uh, that's what I got for fun facts. We'll go through the music real quick and then we'll kind of, uh, do some ratings reviews and wrap this thing up let people know what we thought of this movie um but this movie very much was a movie that showcased a lot of music without being a musical itself um we got a newcomer here the original score was done by a guy named ludwig granson 
Uh, and yeah, he composed the film score, making it his first ever animated film composition. Uh, also, we got some cool original music. The music for the band Four Town. All those original songs were written by Billie Eilish, pop icon, and her brother, Phineas O'Connell, who's also a pretty sought-after, uh, highly recognized producer. So hmm. they wrote three original songs for the movie uh, that were performed in the film by the fictional band Four Town. And those songs were You Know What's Up, One True Love, and Nobody Like You. Hmm. So I'm trying to think of the... Th- like, I, I remember two of them, but I don't remember a third one. Yeah, I don't know. Not that it matters. Know. But uh, the soundtrack also includes songs by Mina, Eduardo Bonato, Gianni Morandini, uh, Rita Pavone, and the Cha-Cha Slide by DJ Casper and <laughs> Bootylicious by Destiny's Child. The Cha-Cha Slide. Hearing that, like, literally at the, I mean, literally, and at it. At any wedding, you're going to hear the cha-cha slide. Like, that's just one of those. Um, but hearing that, like, at the high school or middle school party playlist was like, yep, yeah, that makes sense. Yep. I, uh... I gotta make a quick apology here. So I just noted that uh, the soundtrack includes songs by Mina, Eduardo Bonato, and Gianni Morandini, Rita Pavone. That was actually from our last film. That was Ooh. Luca Music Facts. However, the Cha-Cha Slide by DJ Casper and Bootylicious by Destiny's Child are heard on the soundtrack to the film. Just not the other artists. But Yeah. I was wondering where those... I mean... I was looking at it because I'm like, these all sound the- like weirdly like Italian names. Yep. Yeah, but I made a mistake. It, I was going to say, there's a lot of, like, when it comes to scores especially, like, you have somebody doing it, but at the same time, they're not necessarily writing the whole thing. Right. Yeah. You could have you could have just ran with it. <laughs> but look, I mean, we're, we're Honest to God podcast here. One of our many listeners yeah. would have uh, corrected <laughs> me in the, the DMs, and I just wanted to <laughs> avoid that at all costs. That's fair. Yeah. Can't handle that kind of roasting online no. these days. No, I'm very, very fragile. Um, What do you think? What do you want to do next? Are you thinking beer rating? you thinking film rating? I think we could do a beer rating here. This is, again, the One-Eyed Squirrel, which is from High Pines. It is a red rye IPA. High Pines, again, Roseville, Minnesota. They uh, have a new tap room there. They've been open for just over a year. It's in an old Joe's Crab Shack. Super weird. Don't let that scare you away. Yep. It looks very cool on the inside. It's a very nice place. And uh, they also are partnered with a restaurant that uh, is known as the Tipsy Steer. And there's a couple of them around, and they make some pretty solid food. So mm-hmm. if you like fish and chips, hot chicken, burgers, wraps, things of that nature, go check out. Tipsy Steer and High Pines. It's like a little more bougie bar food. Yeah, their menu's solid. I mean, it is kind of all like... Like, it, it's twists on things that you're familiar with. Yeah. Which I like. Where, like, you're not 
you're not taking like a a big gamble on anything and honestly they they kind of the food knocks it out of the park too like they do a really good job they do um, the the hot chicken sandwich we had is a little more barbecuey than like hot yeah but it was still good it was really good yep. it was definitely different but it was really good yeah crushed um, that thing but yeah, i was so hungry yeah um but yeah anyway with uh with this beer i mean you did the last you you started this off last time yep um i think i'm gonna put this i'm gonna put this at a three seven no three eight i'm gonna go three eight with the one-eyed um something about a red ipa i I just really like it like a little bit more flavor a little bit high heavier malt profile and the rise a nice touch it's very subtle but it's a nice touch Um, it's almost like a little bit of like a spice character to it yeah yeah so i I think that's what i'm going with there so Mm 3.8 from nate um I'm going to be right in that same ballpark with you. I'm coming in at a 3.7 on this one. It is definitely my um, preferred of the two beverages we've drank tonight. Um, both kind of similar West Coast IPAs. Um, but yeah, man, this is um, this is really tasty and I feel like kind of dangerous too. I mean, this is I'm glad I got someone to split this crowler with because it's I mean, it's, it's a palate wrecker. Yeah, for sure. Oh, but absolutely. Rye and that hot profile is going to get you. Knowing, though, that this is like my last beer for the night, probably. I mean, we're recording this at like 9 o'clock on a, a Tuesday. <laughs> I'm, I think it's a good one for me to close with. So. Yeah, well, it's sunny California, you know? <laughs> That's right. I'm probably gonna Rainy go, California. I'm going to go surfing after this. <laughs> That's what people do in California, right? That's, That's that. right. I'll be out there uh, this Friday, actually. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, I forgot. Yeah. Just visiting our local neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. Just yep. flying a couple miles away. Yep. Um, anyways, enough gags. Uh, 3.7 <laughs> from me, 3.8 from Nate. Moving along. Let's talk this movie. Yeah. Here's what I'm going to do here. Okay, okay, okay. I've got the spreadsheet folded up in front of me. Excellent. I've already entered my, my rating. I'm going to give my rating... And then kind of talk about why I put it there. Sure. And then while I'm talking, you can kind of see where you're at. Okay. So this is the 25th film that we've reviewed from Pixar. And I'm putting Turning Red in the better half of them. Just barely. I'm putting this in the number 12 spot. So that's taking the spot of Onward, sending that down to number 13. Um, And it is just behind Toy Story 3. So right between Toy Story 3 and Onward. A little better than Onward. Didn't like as much as Toy Story 3. Now, before I kind of talk about what I thought of this movie, this is a film that was met with, I don't know if backlash is the right word, but... It was a weird amount of heat with this movie. It got some heat. I think that's I, a good way of putting it. I don't... Yeah, I, I'll, I'll let you do your thing. I'll get into my bit later here. Um, This movie, from what I've read, has received pretty solid critic reviews. Um, I mean, it's holding everywhere from like... Uh, 
high 70% to a low 90% on, on most of your outlets that give film reviews. Audience scores have been a little lower. Um, I know there's some religious groups that haven't been super stoked about this film and also some parents specifically kind of rooted down to one scene in the film that plays out for maybe a minute. And it's a conversation between May and her mother. Um, May's mother presuming that this change in her daughter is her daughter experiencing her first period. Yep. And there was a lot of people that were not super happy about that kind of, I think one response I saw online was, uh, I'm an adult. I can parent my daughter. I don't need Disney parenting my daughter. A lot of that uh, kind of stuff. Oh my God. Like, so you kind of get where mm, the, the beef is coming from. The beef. <laughs> no. Yeah. It, no. It, it, it's coming from, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't want to, throw shade or cast shots here but uh yeah throw that shade yeah i i just i think people need to lighten up i think it's uh i don't think there was anything in this movie that was explicit or anything that was um made this film deserve a more explicit rating um yeah i i think it's as far as what people are getting up in arms over, it's basically what I just mentioned. And I think if that is something that's going to offend you, if that is something that you're going to get real caught up over while you're at a movie, um, hmm. I don't know, man. Maybe that's, uh, I don't know. If people are going to get real bent out of shape about, you know, mention of periods in a modern day PG movie that's targeted towards kids and young adults like thing that literally half the population goes through yeah i mean get get bent i guess is basically (laughs) the the best way i can say it get bent um i don't know i if that's really your biggest bone to pick with with what you're watching you know if that's the content that you're really gonna draw a line in the sand over then i'd say maybe just save your money and don't watch movies you know i think that's a pretty fair argument go kick rocks or play with a cardboard box or do something that fits your level of iq you know because clearly sitting back and watching a children's movie is clearly uh, it's it's too intellectual too intellectual excuse me fucking up that word (laughs) it's i don't know it just it got to be one of those things like i i normally try to avoid like especially the movies we hadn't seen yeah like I tried to avoid anything coming out about it, but like it had been long enough for a lot of those movies where like it wasn't getting news coverage all the time. No, but this one it was like holy shit! Like I'm hearing so much about again. Like I said earlier, more I heard more about this in news coverage than I did with like the actual advertising of it. I was like, how is that like this? This must be like off the wall ridiculous. I'm not saying it wasn't a weird Pixar movie, but that's tame. just by like the Pixar standards, yeah. like of like giving us a date and a time frame of the movie, aging people out, like or, or like figuring out how old people are. And honestly, well, the animation was 
this this took for me like a leap like Toy Story 3 did as far as animation goes where I'm like holy shit this looks like fantastic like that, that it, everything's been upgraded again but like that wasn't why this thing was getting news coverage no it just touched on subjects that 13 year olds might be going through yeah okay well like what do you want yeah i i don't know i think it was a weird thing for people to get caught up over but i guess before i pass the ball to you and we close this thing out as far as like the things that i thought were really working in this movie and things that maybe weren't um i really liked the action scenes i really liked the um the kind of mother is like this kaiju creature and also the kind of similar scene at the beginning where may in her own way is kind of terrorizing the town and running around climbing fire escapes and stuff i thought those scenes were really good i thought her friend group was really well done i thought those were three really unique well done supporting characters i think the animation was really good um i liked that it was a timepiece. I think for me, there was a lot more stuff working than not working. I just think the biggest thing that plagued this movie for me was it's marketing. And it might just be a sign of the times that we'll never see a Pixar marketing campaign like we've seen in the past years just because we might not see a Pixar movie make Toy Story money at the box office ever again. And if you're going direct to streaming and you know that the people that have... You're basically just advertising to people that already have disney plus yeah you know what i mean like that's where you're going to see the most ads the banners on your disney plus app but i think this movie felt like it was from the few ads i saw i thought i was going to be getting a totally different product not that i was upset but it felt to me like a movie that was like okay this is pixar returns to like cutesy animated movies like this is going to be the next hot toy this is going to be the red panda ride it's going to be all over at epcot and animal kingdom next year like yep it seemed like it was that marketing giant like a a frozen or something like that would be then when you watch the movie i think the people that need to see them this movie the most are millennial parents one and two present day teenagers teens and preteens because this movie the title character may born in 1989 and this is her life as a 13 year old in 2002 now a little older than both of us but still right in that same wheelhouse like we can totally relate to like a lot of the culture from o2 it's still like pretty fresh in our brain Um, we were what two to three years younger than that yeah yeah i would have been like four years younger but yeah yeah um so yeah i mean i think this is a movie that from the way it was marketed looked to me like a movie for toddlers and upon having seen it now no it's a movie for like 30 year old moms and dads and kids 12 13 year olds that you know maybe aren't quite old enough to go to that pg-13 movie by themselves but maybe haven't fully outgrown animated films i think this is a movie that if I was a fifth grade, sixth grade teacher. I'd sh- totally show in the classroom. Like, oh hell yeah, it's solid. No, like I think they did a great job with it. Um, 
I mean, I feel a little attacked for the time frame, you know, like, like there, there's something about like your childhood being represented in a movie that is like, oh, here's the past. You're like, ah, I don't like that. Makes That's, you feel, it doesn't make you feel any younger. Nope. Nope. Yeah. It's nothing against the movie. It's just uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, yeah. You, you see a CD player. I had one. I don't like it. I had a mini disc player too. That <laughs> when that shit hits the big screen, that's it for me. I'm done watching movies. Uh oh. Yeah, I'm I'm done with it. Um, or actually, the you remember your first MP3 player? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mine looked like a lowercase a. Okay. Yep. the The song that was preloaded on it was "Dude Looks Like a Lady" by Aerosmith. Oh my god. Uh huh. Yep, I remember listening to that song just hundreds of times over because, like, that was the song that came preloaded. I don't remember what my preloaded song was, but I remember I got a sand disc, two gigabytes, which I thought was huge, in yep. probably 2004. And it basically was a ripoff of, of like, the iPod Nano. It looked sure. like a Nano. That, that, that was, like, a fun era of, like, yeah, MP3 players were, like, they all they needed was a charging thing and... Yeah, charging port, a USB port, which a lot of times is the same, and then just a headphone jack. They'd advertise like an inch and a half display, and you're like, oh my god, I can watch one episode of a TV show on a Uh bus ride. And then my eyes will hurt for the next like two days. Yep, everything's just, the contrast is all terrible, but like it was very exciting, very exciting time. Yep. So I figured in about two years, Disney's going to be coming directly for me. Instead of like adjacent to me, yeah. So that's very exciting. Um, but no, the I thought they did a great job on this one. Um, it, I think I'm putting it in the same spot as you, as far as numbers go. I think I'm also going number twelve with this one. Um, I did like it. I think it's got a little more rewatchability than the Good Dinosaur. Like, Good Dinosaur was fun. I just don't really have any desire to watch it again. Like, this one I think I could pop on maybe more in the background and just still have fun with it. There's something about a fresh Pixar film where it's like, for me personally, I feel like I can watch it like five or six times and maybe not like sit down, take in every moment of it, but like, I'll probably throw this movie on another time or two throughout this week just in the background. Um, Yeah. Because it's you know it's new, to me. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I I really liked it. Um, I also I do get that marketing thing you were talking about where. Yeah, I think the first time I heard of it was like a YouTube push notification, and I thought it was like a a teaser, but it was a full trailer. But like, the trailer didn't. Not that the trailer has to give away like what the whole movie's about, but the trailer gave no hint to what this movie is about. Like, I thought it was like whenever a kid gets anxious, which is all the damn time, that like they turn into a panda. But that isn't what it was really about. Um, but I think it, yeah, I think they did a good job making a new environment that Pixar hasn't really explored before. Because we've talked about that, where each Pixar movie kind of has its own environment. Like, not necessarily a different world, but 
more or less a different environment. Yeah. Um, and a little bit weirder take on that environment. Like with the, um, with soul where it was, did, did we get a date? We didn't get a date on that one. Did we present day New York? I think was pretty much implied, but I don't know if it was ever spelled out. Yeah. But like a, a cool take on that. Um, but much like this one, I thought they did a cool take on 2002. I think it's a little, maybe, maybe it was weird because, and like this is the thing I've thought about with it is that it was weird because it's a little more relatable to that time frame. Yeah. Where you, you notice a little bit more. Yeah. But also we've got the giant leaps in animation on our side where like they have to put a lot of detail into it. And like we were saying before, nothing's, yeah, yeah, nothing's there by accident. No. I mean, there's like a, a weird mini plot with Tamagotchi. Yeah. It's like, okay, yeah, no, I know about those. Like, yeah. It was, um, yeah, number 12 for me, right above Good Dinosaur, I think. Nice. Well, there you go. 12 and 12. Good movie this week. Some good beers this week. I'd say all around a pretty solid return episode. We went a little long this week, but, uh, yeah, you know. We're you know. excited to be back. We had so much to catch up on. Yeah, exactly. Because we definitely don't hang out outside of the podcast. Never, never. We nope. never play poker every Monday night. Nope, absolutely not. Not here in sunny California, we don't. No, gambling's illegal. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we appreciate you all for tuning in. Seriously, uh, couldn't do this show without you. Um, I mean, as fun as just sending our thoughts into the ether on childhood films after a couple beers is. We genuinely appreciate the the feedback. So uh, that being said, you can find us on Instagram, SudsBudsPod, S-U-D-Z-B-U-D-Z-P-O-D. We've also got a Gmail account that we are active on. Uh, If you'd like to advertise a product or service on this show, or you would like to reach out and just say, you know, what up? How you doing? Like your show, or maybe you want to start beef with us, like Nate's friend Anna did. I'm actively accepting hate mail at this point. Yeah, (laughs) me too. Maybe you want to pick a side. Uh, Throw an email at uh, sudsbudspod. That's s u d z p o d or s u d z b u d z p o d at gmail dot com. Other than that, I've been Eric Anderson. I've been I've been Nate Alpadel. Yeah, you can say your own name. Catch you next time. This has been Turning Red.